Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Now, a few years ago, a challenge took the internet by storm. What would happen is parents set out to sit down their young toddlers at a table, and they put a bowl of candy in front of them, hands up if you know what I'm talking about, and they said to them, don't eat any of the candy until I come back into the room. Well, the toddler's reactions were adorable. They're hilarious. Why don't we take a look together right now? Okay, here's your candy, but you can't eat it yet, okay? Mommy has to go potty really quick and I'm gonna be right back, okay? Corbin, don't eat it yet. Don't eat it, leave it right here. And when I come back from potty, you can eat it, okay? Don't eat it, I'll be right back. Don't eat it. Mommy's gonna go potty, I'll be right back, okay? Give them a clap. They succeeded in the challenge. I mean, who can really resist a bowl of candy set in front of you? Or I guess maybe a tray or platter. What are these? Donuts? Croissants? I guess cookies. I don't know why these actually were put out. I wonder, you know what? Maybe if you could just not... Oh, they were for you, were they? Well, if we could just not draw our attention to that for now. I'm not sure. Maybe it's for Pastor Jonathan after. It'd be great if you would just focus on me. So if you could, just stop looking at the cookies. Look at me for the next few moments. That would be great. But going back to our video, did you catch the sister as she pushed the candy away from her little brother? Or maybe his little voice saying... I want some, as he was licking his lips. Did you see that? That was my favorite part. Adorable. But I wonder how many of us were quietly judging that responsible big sister as she guided and maybe blocked her brother from giving into the temptation. You see, if only she would have stayed silent, then you and I could have awed and ooed as he popped that forbidden treat into his mouth. Kids are such great illustrations for us, aren't they? See, as I, as I was watching that video this week, I couldn't help but wonder, why is it that we find it endearing, even adorable, to watch a child struggle in an area that many of us have struggled with ourselves? See, how many of us watching that video were secretly hoping that the temptation might be a little bit too much for that little boy to bear? 
Self-control kind of tends to be a little bit tad disappointing in a situation like that, doesn't it? The reason is the stakes were very low. But lack of self-control in the real world can often carry much more significant consequences, can it? The truth is that the inability to practice self-control often leads to loss. The loss of our health, the loss of a career, the loss of reputations, maybe the loss of a relationship. For students, the lack of self-control can be the loss of a school year, maybe the loss of long-term security, maybe the loss of a family. I wonder if you're sitting there online or in this room thinking, you know what, Pastor Jessica, that's brutally honest, maybe too honest for a Sunday morning. Well, here's the good news that Pastor Keith shared with us at the beginning of this series. We can grow in self-control just like we can in each of these areas that we're studying through this Brutiful Faith series. Here's what 2 Peter 1 verse 5 to 8 says, make every effort to add goodness to your faith. Then add goodness, uh, then to your goodness add knowledge. To your knowledge, like Pastor Jonathan was talking about last week, we should add the ability to control ourselves. And to your self-control add perseverance, to your perseverance add godliness, to godliness kindness, to kindness love. This is what I love. All of these things should describe you more and more as you know Jesus better. You see, as we grow in each of these areas, we become more like the person of Jesus. Really, this list is a masterclass in spiritual growth. Now, Pastor Jonathan, you shared last week that spiritual growth is taking a long walk in the same direction. And that long walk is actually the path that our lives take. We get to decide the direction that we go in. But the more steps that we take towards Jesus, the deeper and, re- deeper and richer our relationship can become. This is why we launched Follow in September. Follow was that invitation for us to take a next step in the same direction that all of us as followers of Jesus are going in. See, each of us are on a different stage of that path. You're in a different stage, I'm in a different stage. You might be farther ahead than than me. You might just be starting out on the path of faith. And so follow actually measures where you are in that journey and provides you with great resources that you can use to take that next step. I love that our pastors, all our pastoral team, they put together some teaching videos that you're only gonna see when you take that follow assessment and their encouragements on how we can take those next steps in our lives. Because we are a church that's committed to going both deep and wide. We wanna go deep in our relationships with Jesus, but we wanna go wide and include everyone to join us as we follow Jesus together. And so today we're gonna focus on this little word, self-control, the ability to control yourselves. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about self-control. In fact, it mentions it 174 times. It's obvious that God wants us to get this right in our lives. If he's gonna mention it 174 times, because the lack of self-control has a drastic effect on our lives. Proverbs 28 verse 28, or 25 verse 28 says this. A person without self-control is like a city that's broken into and left without walls. A city without walls, that means there's nothing left to protect itself. I'm just gonna adjust this here, is that helpful? 
Um, a city would be vulnerable to every attack that would come its way if those walls had come down. If those walls had come down, a city is completely destroyed. It's completely overtaken. This is the Bible, this is the picture the Bible is painting for us. It warns us what will happen when we don't practice self-control. See, if a city cannot protect itself, what's gonna happen? That anyone and anything that enters that city is going to easily be able to take over and control it. So how do we grow in self-control? How do we not become like cities without walls? Well, our story today is found in Matthew 16 and it's our friend Peter. Now, Jesus starts off by asking his disciples a very simple question. He says this, who do the people that I'm teaching, who do the people in the crowds think that I am, disciples? Well, the disciples, they respond to him and they say, well, Jesus, they kind of think you're kind of like a prophet, like John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, they kind of put you in that camp. So Jesus says, okay, but my friends, Who do you think that I am? Not who does everyone else think I am, who do you think I am? And that's when Peter has one of those never forget moments. You know those moments in which you're never gonna forget them? Hollywood calls them core memories, that they kind of like become a memory and they're never gonna go away. This is one of those for Peter. So Peter, after Jesus has said, but friends, who do you think that I am? Peter stands up and he declares this in front of Jesus and and the disciples. He says, Jesus, You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And so immediately, Jesus responds and he praises Peter. He says, Peter, you've recognized the truth that I am the Messiah. In fact, he says, you are blessed, Peter, because God has revealed this truth to you. See, you didn't learn this truth from any human being. This isn't knowledge that came from humans. This is knowledge that came from God. And so if only the story would stop there, Our friend Peter, he could be a hero. But thankfully, he goes on, often as he likes to do, to give us some real life examples that we can learn from today. Because the very next thing that happens in the story is this. It says, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly, right after he talked talked to Peter, and Peter said, you're the son of God, you're the Messiah. Then Jesus goes on to tell his disciples that it's necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that Jesus is gonna suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law. Jesus told them he would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. See, what's happening here is Jesus is giving them some knowledge. He's sharing with them, he's continuing to share with them some godly knowledge, giving them knowledge that they did not have. And this is what he's telling them, this is what's gonna happen. This is what happens next, but Peter, He jumps in, has no self-control. But Peter took Jesus aside and began to reprimand him, reprimand the Messiah, the Son of God, for saying such things. Heaven forbid it, Lord, he said. This will never happen to you. See, what Peter is really saying here is, you're wrong, Jesus. I don't think you should go to Jerusalem. These things that you're saying, Jesus, they're not going to happen to you. Jesus, I have knowledge that maybe you don't have. Or Jesus, I don't think this is the path for you. See, the fact that Peter reprimands Jesus, I find worrisome. But what I find most shocking is the fact that only moments earlier, Jesus had recognized in front of all of the disciples that Peter, in fact, 
was exercising in knowledge that had come from God. See, in one breath, Peter says, Jesus, you're the Messiah. And in the next breath, Peter says, but I am more knowledgeable than the Messiah. See, Peter may have received incredible knowledge from God, but without self-control, that knowledge is useless. That's why in our verse at the beginning, it says, add into your knowledge, you should add the ability to control yourself. It's so important to exercise self-control with the knowledge that we receive. See, if Peter had just paused for just a moment, just shut his mouth for a second, exercised some self-control, he may have realized he was attempting to lead Jesus when Peter's role was to follow Jesus. Now, I wonder, have you ever been there before? I know I have. Attempting to lead Jesus to do what I need him to do in my life. Maybe you tried to lead God down the path that you have determined is already the best way for you to go in. And there's Jesus patiently saying, follow me. Why don't you just follow me? So here's our friend Peter. He's just blurted out to Jesus that Jesus is wrong and that Peter is right. And this is what Jesus says to him. I love it. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. Now, the reason he's saying Satan is he's trying to grab Peter's attention, kind of saying like, Peter, whose team do you play on here? He says, you are a dangerous trap to me. See, Peter is making it so much harder for Jesus to do what he has come to do. And then Jesus says this. He says, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view. You're not seeing it from God's. He's saying, Peter, whose side are you on? Peter, am I the Messiah or are you the Messiah? See, this interaction, it really illuminates the fact that self-control does not come naturally to us, does it? It's not easy to resist the things that you know that you are not supposed to do. Take, for example, these cookies on the stage. How many of you have found yourself looking at these cookies while I'm talking, wondering what's going to happen with the cookies at some point of this gathering, even though I asked you to practice some self-control and not look at the cookies? If we're honest, how many of us looked at it? It's because this is the thing. It's hard to do what we're not supposed to do. Self-control is not easy to practice. Sometimes even self-control kind of feels like a negative word, doesn't it? Kind of like keeping us from something. But self-control is a positive word. It's, it's included in this list of great things because self-control is a gift to us. Kind of like this platter of goodies that I want to give away right now. And so when I was considering who I should give these cookies to in the gathering so that they may eat them and enjoy them, I thought, you know what? I love our young adults. I'm so thankful for our young adults. Did you know that over the last probably month, our next gen has exploded? The young adults have exploded, the youth have exploded, the kids have exploded, the junior highs have exploded. God is doing some incredible things in our young adults and our junior highs and our youth, and we are so thankful. So I thought, why don't I give my young adults, just because I'm so thankful that they're here, why don't I give you a treat to enjoy in this gathering? Pastor Jonathan, do you think you can help me? Be careful. You can even have one if you want, because you're sitting in the young adult section. They smell good, right? They smell good. There you go. You hand those out to our young adults. Give them a round of applause. Aren't you glad that they're here today? 
Now, since I asked you earlier not to look at those treats, it'd be understandable if you were feeling a little bit of negativity towards these treats. But once I told you that they were a gift for someone else to our young adults, I bet you that you feel a little bit more positive about the cookies. Probably disappointed, you'd like a cookie in the gathering right now to eat. But you feel positive about those cookies. You're glad for the young adults. That's the same thing about self-control. Often we are tempted to think of self-control as a negative thing, something that keeps us away from everything. But self-control is actually something that adds good things to our lives, kind of like those cookies for the young adults. So today I want to highlight just four simple truths that I'm hoping will reshape the value of self-control in our lives. And the first one is this. Self-control protects me from destroying my life. Self-control protects me from destroying my own life. Now, if you've ever read, drove it on a highway before, do you know what this is? This thing right here, what it's called? It's called a guardrail. Hands up if you know what a guardrail is. Hands down if you've ever hit a guardrail, fantastic, that's great. This is a guardrail. Now, the, the purpose of a guardrail is actually to keep vehicles on the spot that they're supposed to be, on the right side, not the right, but the, the side that they're supposed to be on of the road. And we all need guardrails that are set up in our lives, so when we're tempted to go off the path that we're on, a guardrail will keep us from danger. Now. A few weeks ago, I had to stop for gas, and I do not like getting gas. This is, a, this is a task, a chore, that I'm so thankful my husband often does for me. He doesn't do it out of love, I don't think. He more does it because he likes to collect points, and I don't care about points. I care about convenience. So he's always like taking the cars out to fill them up because he wants to collect his points. I don't care, but this particular day, I had to go and fill up gas. So I was already in a bad mood because I knew I had to stop. I was late, it was cold. Hands up if you don't, like to, you don't like to fill up on gas. All of you like to fill up. Okay, fantastic. Hands up online if you're just like, nah, I don't like filling up on gas. Hands up if you are the gas filler in your family, like if this is something you just do for everybody else. Oh, look at you guys. You are like servant-hearted people. So there I was at the gas station, jumped out of my car, already frustrated, mad, upset. And so I grab my credit card and I tap it on that machine. And I know there's about like a second that you tap it and then you grab the handle and you can start to fill up. If you do it in the reverse order, you'll know this. You have to like stop and then the machine turns down. You have to go to another pump. So you have to do it in the order. So I tapped, waited for the beep, grabbed the handle and went to go put it in my gas tank. Here's the problem. It would not go in my gas tank. So I'm frustrated. I've been filling up gas for like 20 years. This has never happened to me. I'm late, it's cold, I don't want to fill up gas. I'm like secretly angry at Skip because he hadn't filled up the car the night before. And so I'm frustrated and I try to get that handle into my gas tank and it just won't go. And I'm about to just kind of jump in my car and go to the next pump when I notice something. I notice that there's another handle option in front of me. And the handle that I'm holding is actually yellow. And then it dawned on me. I was holding the diesel injector. Now, I'm not sure if you were aware, my husband tells me that putting diesel into a gas engine is not a good idea. In fact, it is going to damage your car and it's going to be very costly to fix. But thankfully, some employee at the gas company had come up with a way to put a safeguard in place, a guardrail, if you will, to ensure that some rushed person like myself wouldn't unknowingly 
fill up their tank with diesel. See, they made it impossible for me to fill up with the wrong fuel by designing the diesel injector to be a little bit larger than the gas tank hole. It was brilliant. This is exactly what the Bible means when it talks about setting up guardrails in our lives. See, it's, it's wise to put safeguards in place so that when you go to do something that's going to harm you, you're forced to stop and think. See, guardrails actually protect us from unintentionally bringing damage to our lives. So what does a guardrail look like? Like, what does a guardrail look like for me in 2022? Well, first of all, a wedding ring is a guardrail. It's something that you wear to remember the lifelong commitment that you have made to your partner. In moments of doubt, it announces to you and to the world that you have commitments that you intended to keep. Another one is a Netflix passcode. If you have kids, you understand this. You lock down Netflix, you lock down Amazon because you don't want them to watch certain things. Here's the problem. When you go to watch the certain things, you have to put that passcode in over and over and over. It's annoying. But here's what a Netflix passcode does. It slows you down enough to remind you that what you are about to watch may not benefit your life. Another guardrail, those annoying screen time reports. How many have had one of those before? All of a sudden it jumps up and it's like, you've spent 19 hours today on the phone. You spent 27 hours this week on Facebook. 700 hours on Instagram scrolling. You know what? They're annoying. You want to put them away. You don't want them. You immediately go into settings and try and turn them off so they stop letting you know that. But they're guardrails. They're a reminder, a reminder of the time and value that you are putting on areas of your life. Now, for followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you say, you know what, I follow Jesus, the Bible highlights some guidelines that we're to follow in our lives. The first is this, consistent prayer and Bible reading. These are guardrails because they remind us of God's authority in our lives and they help us to recognize his voice when he's speaking to us. Another great one is tithing. Tithing is a guardrail. How's it a guardrail? Well, it reminds me that God is my provider, not me. I'm not, I'm not the whole world. I depend on him. I bring him a part of what he's blessed me with. Solitude and Sabbath, those are guardrails because these disciplines actually serve as a reminder that we are not self-dependent people. Practicing a Sabbath reminds me that I can stop and rest because God is ultimately in control. The world does not depend on Jessica to get everything done seven days a week. It actually depends on him. See, these guardrails actually help us practice self-control by putting some checks into our lives. They illuminate the truth that Peter was learning, that my role is not to be the leader. Jesus is the leader, and I am the follower. The second truth is this, self-control helps me to use knowledge to navigate situations. Now, if Peter had only practiced a tad bit of self-control, added some self-control to his knowledge in this moment, he may have caught on to his errors and corrected them before he opened his mouth. Sometimes, 
Each of us just needs to take a moment. How many of you know this? Is it true? Is it kind? If it's not, shut your mouth. If you want to say something, think it through. If you still want to say it, think it through again. And if you feel like you should say it, is it true, is it kind? No, then shut your mouth. Sometimes we just need to exercise some self-control. Peter had to do this. So in those moments when we stop and we pause, we can apply the knowledge that God has given us, the knowledge that God has blessed us with that Pastor Jonathan was talking about to the present situations that we find ourselves in. See, if Peter had just stopped for a moment, practiced a little bit of self-control, he would have likely come to the conclusion that his mouth was talking when his ears should have been listening. Jesus was talking. He was the Messiah. Peter had just announced that. Why was Peter talking over Jesus? And secondly, I think he would have realized that even though I don't fully understand or comprehend this plan, even though I don't think the Messiah should die, even though I don't think he should head to Jerusalem, this makes no sense in my mind. The Messiah is here talking in front of me And he's telling me that this is the plan to save the world. So maybe the Messiah knows more than I do. That's a hard one, right, for us? Third truth is this. Self-control puts God in his rightful place and helps me to hear his voice more clearly. A few weeks ago, one of my children, I will not tell you who, came home after school and said this to me. Well, I did something bad today. I know I shouldn't do it, and I tried not to. The Holy Spirit told me not to, but I did it anyway. Now, I bet that you're listening right now, and you're wondering, how does a little kid hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? Because as a pastor, I often hear from people who struggle to hear the voice of God in their lives, who struggle to hear from God. And as followers of Jesus, whether we're five years old or whether we're 85 years old, we need to practice to recognize the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. This is something we need to work on as followers of Jesus. The truth is that the Holy Spirit is the same to an adult as he is to a child. And so this is kind of what we've, how we've taught our kids to recognize the Holy Spirit in their lives. The first thing is that when the Holy Spirit is guiding us, it often comes with a feeling that directs us towards the right choice. Often that's the more difficult choice, the choice we really don't wanna do, the choice that isn't coming naturally to us, but we know that God is speaking to us and asking us to do that. Second thing we help our kids understand, and it's helpful for us as adults as well, is when the Holy Spirit is leading us, he is always encouraging us to obey God, to obey God's word, the Bible. That's why it's so important that we read it, that we know it, that we've spent time with him because we can recognize it when the Holy Spirit uses it in our lives. You see, at that moment when my child came home and announced that they had heard from the Holy Spirit and they chose to disobey anyways, my child in that class did not hear the audible voice of God speaking in the classroom. Rather, they recognized that they felt the presence of the Holy Spirit and he was reminding them of the way that they should go. See, in that moment, the Holy Spirit was encouraging them to choose obedience to God, even though it was not what they wanted to do. And we're a lot like that, aren't we, friends? On our own, we tend to lead these unrestrained lives, doing whatever we want, whatever we want, whenever we want. 
But the Holy Spirit's role in my life is to reveal areas where disobedience is causing harm. And then he provides us with some opportunities to change our course and to choose obedience. To choose God's way when my natural tendency is to choose my own way. But here's the thing, it's always our choice. God always offers a choice, his way or my way. Which leads us to the next one. Self-control helps me to achieve long obedience in the same direction. This is something Pastor Jonathan was talking about uh, last week. This is why safeguards are so important in our lives, why they're so critical for our lives, because they help us to build checks into our lives, similar to that diesel injector. They force us to pause, to think about what we're doing, and remind us to exercise some self-control. See, self-control ensures that we are able to stay on the course that we've set our, our lives on. Because long and consistent obedience in the same direction is what's needed to arrive at a destination. This is what Eugene Peterson says. He says, long obedience in the same direction is how we arrive at a destination. Long obedience really requires self-control. Long obedience, self-control. If you wanna land your dream career, it's gonna require consistent growth to make you employable. Do you wanna save for the future for something? It is going to require consistent deposits into a savings account. Do you wanna train for a marathon? It's gonna require consistent exercise so that your body is prepared. Do you wanna learn to recognize God's voice in your life? It's gonna require consistent time spent with him. I want to just pause there for a second because sometimes people hear consistent time spent with God and they're like, oh, that's every day, 10 hours a day. I can't do that because I have a job, I have a family. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about consistent time with him. I'm talking about letting him speak to me as I go about my day. I'm talking about setting aside time into my week to really take time to read his Bible and pray. And sometimes that doesn't happen every single day. The goal is that it could, but if you're not there at that point, that's not the goal. The goal is to start spending more time with him. That's why we use that word consistent, that I'm setting aside time to, to spend with him, to listen to him, setting aside time in my day to hear from him. As I'm driving, if I feel the Holy Spirit speaking to me, I'm listening to him. I'm giving him space to move. So I wonder, are there areas in your life where you need to practice this long obedience in the same direction, self-control? Maybe do you need to practice self-control over your emotions? Why don't you ask yourself, am I careful with my heart? Do I trust it to those who are going to treasure it and protect it? Or is my heart up for grabs to anyone that wants it? Maybe do I prioritize my mental health? Do I take time for self-care? Do I talk to someone? Do I talk to a professional when I need to? I wonder, do you practice self-control in your thoughts? Maybe ask yourself, are my thoughts towards other people generous? or are they a bit judgmental? When you walk into a situation, are you on the judgmental side or are you on the generous side? What about yourself? Are, the thoughts, are my thoughts towards myself, are they loving? Are they kind? Or are they borderline abusive? What about your body? Maybe you need to practice some self-control over your body. Maybe ask yourself, do I treasure the body that God has given to me or do I take it for granted? Do I nourish it with things, good things, that will bring goodness and health? Or am I only concerned about my body when it fails me? 
What about your relationships? Do I need to practice some self-control in my relationships? This one's a tough one. I think about this one all the time. Are the names of those that I love, the people who are closest to me, who I love, are they safe in my mouth? Like when I'm not with them, am I speaking life about them? How about this one? Do I honor my partner, the person that I have chosen to make a lifelong commitment? Do I honor my partner by disciplining my thoughts and my actions? What about your faith journey? Do you need to practice some long obedience, some self-control in your faith journey? Why don't you ask yourself, do I prioritize time spent with God and my faith community? Or do I just, is that like extras if I have a little bit of extra time? If a Sunday we don't have anything on that weekend, maybe we'll come to church. Do I prioritize my faith community? How about this one? Do I listen for God's voice in my life? Is there space? Do I take time for solitude and quiet? so that he can actually talk to me. And am I obedient when he asks me to do something? See, each of us is gonna resonate with a different area on this list because each of us are at different stages of the journey of life. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is working on these areas. He's changing us. He's sanding off a bit of those rough edges. He's growing us to become more like the character of Jesus. The reality is that each of these areas, each of them are a long journey. There's no overnight fixes. I'm not gonna say, oh, I'm gonna focus on thoughts this week, next week I'm doing fantastic, then the week after emotions, body, relationships, faith journey, by the end of two months I'm check, check, check. That's not how it works. It's a slow process of consistent steps. Consistent steps in the same direction are actually required as we walk down the long journey of life. And self-control is what makes those steps possible. Because the truth is that when self-control is activated in our lives, it actually prevents us from destroying our lives by putting some safeguards in place. Safeguards that are gonna keep us safe, like that diesel injector that wouldn't fit in the gas hole That's what guardrails do for us. When self-control is activated in my life, it actually helps us to use the knowledge that God has already given me to inform and navigate the situations that I find myself in. I'm gonna pause, I'm gonna think, and then I'm going to act. When self-control is activated in my life, it actually puts God in his rightful place and me in my rightful place. And it helps me to hear his voice more clearly because I've trained myself to pause and listen for him. And finally, when self-control is activated in my life, when I'm taking some of those steps, those consistent steps on the long road of obedience, it actually helps me achieve long obedience. It helps me get to the destination that I'm going in. And it helps me to grow closer and deeper with him. I invite you to close your eyes. I'm going to pray. Because self-control is an area that we all struggle in, if we're honest with. There are none of us that can look at that list and say, I'm perfect in all of these areas. And if, if, if there is, then maybe look at your kids, your parents, your partner. Ask them, and they'll tell you, you're not perfect in all of these areas. None of us are. But these are areas that the Holy Spirit can work on in our lives. He can sand off those rough edges. He can call us towards obedience. He can help us to put guardrails in our lives, safeguards 
so that we can continue down the path that we've set our hearts on. And so because none of us are perfect in this area, I'm just going to pray for all of us. Father, I thank you. I thank you, God, that you give good gifts, that you love us and you you provide good things for our lives, God. And and even the things that are hard, Father, even self-control, that's a hard word, God. It's a hard thing to grow in, God. This is a good gift from you because you have good plans for our lives. You have good plans for our relationships. You have good plans for our careers, God. You have good plans for our families, God. You have good plans for this church, for the situations we find ourselves in, God. And we want to be obedient. We want to be a people that that are known as obedient people, God. And so would you help us? Would you help us to put safeguards in place in our lives, God? And, And even as you do that, God, even as you give us wisdom into those safeguards that we need for our lives, God, would you help us with obedience? Would you help us when we hit up against one of those safeguards? Would you help us to think for a moment and consider and choose obedience, God? We're so thankful for you. We're thankful that you love us and that you're a good father and you lead us so well, Father. So thank you, God, in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.